0: That naturopathic podcast, TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current
1: healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health.
0: This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well.
1: This show is for
0: you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right. This week, we got a great talk with Dr. Nick Baboulos. He's a naturopathic doctor in the East End of Toronto. Uh, He works out of Irene Healing Solutions, and he focuses heavily on complex and chronic disease management. He is an expert in low-dose immunotherapy, which is why I reached out to him for this talk. I thought it's a really, really interesting topic. Uh, It's a kind of uh, naturopathic intervention that I'm aware of, but I'm not an expert in. So I always love learning from these experts. Um, if you are the person who has a complex sort of chronic disease condition, autoimmune condition that just is very difficult to treat, that's the type of person who needs to be listening to this. If you're a naturopathic doctor and you're interested in these kinds of therapies, uh, low dose immunotherapy, then check it out. I think you're going to really like uh, this topic and this talk with Dr. Nick. Okay, welcome to another episode of that naturopathic podcast. It's Dr. Dave here and I'm really excited to, uh, to sit down today and chat with, uh, Dr. Nick Babulis, and he's a naturopathic doctor in uh, the East End of Toronto. And we're going to talk about autoimmune disease, complex chronic illness. And specifically, I reached out to, to Dr. Nick to, um, to talk about his expertise with low dose immunotherapy um LDI so I think that's a big part of his practice and I think he's a great uh sort of resource in that probably not really well understood uh treatment uh strategy so Nick thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today and and let's let's get talking about uh complex chronic illness and LDI and uh tell us maybe a little bit um to start about how you got into naturopathic medicine and your sort of fave modalities that you're into
2: For sure. Well, thanks, Dr. Dave, for having me. I really appreciate that. Um, I guess my story in terms of uh, getting into naturopathic medicine is pretty long, but I'll I'll be as simple as possible. I think it was family. Like my sister got ill. It kind of changed my trajectory in life. Before this, I was a a medicinal chemist doing research in the pharmaceutical industry. And then uh, like my sister, like I said, she got ill. It kind of of tormented me in a way that I, I needed to do more. So I I don't know why, but I I kind of focused and I found uh, naturopathic medicine. And then through that, I blossomed into what I am today because of her, because through her journey, it kind of just taught me different ways of kind of supporting patients and finding new modalities that can truly support patients. And uh, that's why I kind of, I know what I know today. And that's why I I think or I feel that I've accelerated my own capacity just because of her experience or or working through her experience in terms of her illness. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's where I am today, I guess.
0: Yeah, so like grounded in the sort of traditional sciences. I knew you were a chemist, um, but yeah, medicinal chemist, and probably not the most common sort of trajectory, right?
2: I don't know. I was always I was always a geek for chemistry. I just found it it was more natural for me because everyone went to biology and you liked the Memorize stuff and I just couldn't memorize. I'm not a mm-hmm. memorizer at all, but I can apply things. I knew, and I wanted to be, uh, I'm a hands-on kind of person. So chemistry just felt natural. And I like mm-hmm. to make things. I was, that was mm-hmm. always fun. You kind of put something into like a, a beaker or whatever it is, and you're mixing things and then you create something out of nothing. So it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. But I still loved it. It just, there was something more for me to do. And that's what, that was uh, naturopathic medicine.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a great basis. I, I would say like my, my, uh, my traditional sort of... Um, Conventional, I should say, sort of sciences are, I think, are very helpful. And then you you realize, sure. yeah, your heart sometimes pulls you, uh, pulls your head with you. And and I I think that's what happened. Uh, it sounds like with your with your sister. So what what was the thing that the sort of like barriers or whatever that you experienced or you were watching with your your sister becoming ill? What were the sort of barriers that that led you to that sort of path?
2: I think it was just there is there was no answers, and mm-hmm. um, people are just dismissive in many ways, mm-hmm. especially doctors. And I guess the the attitudes, uh, I'm sorry to say, just it, it was really, it wasn't a good experience in, in that regard. So we knew we had to do more. We knew we had to go further out in terms of even leaving Canada to kind of find treatment and find different doctors. And um, like through that is when I kind of found there was different NDs in different even states in America that I was more kind of aware of what they do and their full scope of ability. And I was mm-hmm. just intrigued. I was like, wow, interesting. I didn't realize that. And I think at that point, um, in my job too I was like, well, I, I want to go back to school. I wanted to get my PhD because that's why I assumed I had to do it to, to do better in the industry. And like I always say, like chemistry is my career, but um, naturopathic medicine is my passion. And that's yeah. what it became. So um, through that kind of experience with her, it just kind of like led me to say, like, I, I know I can do better. I know there's, there's, there's ways to help people. And I always wanted to help people and I didn't know how. And mm-hmm. through this experience, it allowed me to say, well, now I can be at the forefront or in the front lines um, to support patients who are kind of going through uh, difficulties in complex chronic illness, whatever that might be, Lyme, autoimmune diseases, chronic fatigue. And, mm-hmm. and then that they're not crazy. I think that's the key thing is that there, there's something going on. People just don't understand, but there is something going on and we're here to help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dismissiveness, uh, or that experience of being dismissed is, is just so troubling, uh, for, for you and I. I, I mean, I think that's a big part of, of why I got into it too, is there's, you know, you run into walls and then in, in practice, I've realized how often patients are being dismissed. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's like, uh, in a sense, it's not a real, a fault of the doctor. It's a sort of fault of the, the, the scientific box they have to live in and, uh, and you know this is not cutting edge science often with with what they have to live in right We're, we we learn that it's 17 to 20 years before like you know science at the cusp becomes more you know part of practice so yeah i i, I love that you're uh, you know your heart's pulled into it too nick so let's let's move on to uh let's talk about low dose low dose immunotherapy like i i am absolutely uh, so intrigued by it i see some similarities between it and homeopathy which uh you may or may not know i'm a big i'm a big proponent of using what i call clinical homeopathy um and trying to trying to make it more reproducible and reliable uh and and applied specifically but can can you maybe start there with like any similarities between ldi and homeopathy
2: yeah i think i think it is homeopathy in some sense like uh, I'll, i'll just like start simply in terms of like um maybe a little bit of its history in terms of what it was before it is in terms of today, because at the start it was, it was called like enzyme potential desensitization uh, EPD. And it was by, it was coined by a doctor in the UK, Dr. McEwen, and he was doing it for allergy, mostly in that regard, uh, desensitizing patients to that. He was utilizing um, something called uh, beta glucuronidase, which kind of was a chemokine, which just means it attracts the immune system to make a reaction to whatever antigen or information I put of this allergen in your body so that you can kind of desensitize yourself too. Um, And then it was brought to the U.S. by Dr. Uh, Schrader, and he kind of coined it into LDA, um, which was low-dose allergy immunotherapy, which focused on the different parts of like inhaling allergies, uh, chemical allergies, and there was an area for food sensitivities too as well. And then through that kind of blossomed out uh, with Dr. Ty Vinson into the microbial part of it, which we'll get into a little bit later too. So, and today you can say like in terms of LDIs, there's a possibility of anything being an LDI in mm-hmm. very simple terms. But then getting back to your question in terms of homeopathy and LDI, I think they, they definitely are this very similar or they overlap in many ways because of the fact that even when we start making different doses of them with, with Dr. Tai's kind of method in terms of what I learned originally a long time ago is that you're using Hanumanian potencies. So you're using C potencies to create them. The only difference is that what, what you're doing in this case is that you're saying the, the higher I go in physical number, the weaker it is. But in, in the opposite way, in terms of homeopathy, when you go weaker, you you're have a stronger kind of a medicine in a sense. So mm-hmm. in this case, you're going stronger when you're going much more concentrated, when, you're, when you have physical matter versus non-physical matter. Because at one point when we're doing dilutions, we're passing Avakadra's constant, which is physically, there's no physical possibility of a material in there. But just the information, mm-hmm. in The information, the passing, passing on information in, in that regard, right? In mm-hmm. terms of vibrational or energetics, or however you want to kind of coin it, in terms of to the patient. So that's what I would say. There, are de- I would definitely say it is homeopathy in its own kind of a way. But sometimes, like we even we really know with, with homeopathy, lower dilutions work more in the physical, and they can be helpful too as well. So. I don't, I don't see any difference in that. I think it, it comes down to that as well. Cause just, I just consider it an information therapy. You're mm-hmm. passing on information. That's what you're really doing in these kinds of circumstances. Cause sometimes, like we said, there's nothing left of physical matter in there. So it's just information.
0: So yeah. I'm, I'm so happy you, you brought it back to that information. That's actually how, uh, how I describe homeopathy or homeopathic sort of principles. Cause they're used in many different ways. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's, it's roughly homeopathy, but yeah, it's information. And, uh, anyone who's got any experience with homeopathy will know that that's, that's how it has to be. And I've even thought about it, like to try and figure out what is actually going on physiologically, because I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you give a good remedy, you know, for a reliable, a reliable remedy for a fairly obvious condition or whatever, the thing starts working within minutes. And it's, so it's not pharmacology, I'm talking to a chemist here. So it's not like pharmacology, that's going on. It's not like this molecule is bumping into that one, causing some, you know, some other molecules to. This is happening way faster, and then I think it's transduced uh, by the nervous system because um, it's so fast. um yeah. But yeah, it's it, just to bring back to what you're saying, it's information. And uh, we were just talking before uh, we started recording here about we don't know exactly how these things work, um, but they work.
2: Yeah, I think you're right because I think we'll get into a little bit too. Just so, so I. Could... So people understand, like in terms of the goal of LDI, is to create or desensitize somebody to something that's creating a problem in their body. So that, and from our perspective with LDI, we're looking at things that created an immune-mediated inflammatory condition. So that can be kind of anything. So anything that's creating possibly that's been triggered in the body to create inflammation in tissues, whatever that may be, we're trying to find a way to shut that off. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of goal overall. So that's why it is intriguing and and you're right uh, dr dave because when you physically give the right remedy even like say with ldis like there's a shift pretty quickly and people physically feel that shift it's pretty crazy sometimes so so that's why it does make sense in terms of when you when you have the right medicine and the right potency then you do see that the difference and in this case the only thing i would say definitely we can get into a bit uh, later on is uh there there can be flares when you give something that's too strong. So that's the only difference with comparative like homeopathy. Giving something stronger, you you might not feel anything different. You just not have the right um, potency. That's the only difference in that case.
0: Yeah. So when when you say something is too strong, just to just to uh, you know clarify that, are you saying like we've used a potency that's too low or too high?
2: Yeah. So like that's why the difference with LDI therapy, I would say, is that when you're using a potency that's lower, that would be stronger right okay which would be weaker which okay. would be the opposite possibly of homeopathy if we're thinking that way
0: okay just to keep um you know people interested in, in terms of like maybe some applications right away i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw this at you i got a couple questions but the one i want to start with is someone talked to me yesterday uh, i had a meet and greet yesterday with a with a new patient and she has moved into a house in the last i don't know a couple years and ever since then and she's had issues sort of gradually increasing since she moved into the house. Well, now she knows there's water damage. Okay. So this is the second time this has happened. She's, she's experienced the same thing in another house that had water damage. So I'm immediately, you know, during this meet and greet, I'm going, Oh crap. You know, this sounds like we could have some sort of like mold toxicity going on. Uh, First thing I'm going to, I'm just going to throw it at you. What, what are you thinking when you like, is this, is this an application perhaps of LDI when we know that, you know the the incident that sort of uh, made things go pear shaped or sideways in the person's health is likely mold. Is this an incidence where we'd use LDI or consider it?
2: So yeah, so like the, the so it's a it's a load of question in its own way, but I would say in very simple terms you you can because there's two ways of looking at mold toxicity. You can look at mold toxicity from the pure toxicity part where you go into the environment you you inhaled something. Now you're full of mold toxins and you feel horrible. But when you leave the environment, you start to feel a little bit better. And then Mm -hmm. there's the other side of it where now maybe you're you're mold toxic, but now your immune system is probably reacting against the mold. So now you have a sensitivity to the mold as well. So now it's not about toxic load as much anymore, but there's also an immune mediated inflammatory reaction from the mold. So Mm -hmm. if there's that part of it, then definitely you can utilize kind of LDI or LDA in a sense to kind of... Uh, desensitize yourself towards it so you can take a stress off the body because that will be the key thing so that that's kind of across the board with anything in terms of ldi's um, you can even think in terms of metals heavy metals right we always think toxic load of a heavy metal but at one point when the uh, when the metals in your body for so long it can it can trigger an immunological reaction we know there's ELISA testing all that stuff so you can say metal sensitivities creating inf- uh, infl- inflammation in the through the immune system so if we can desensitize those things, then we have a better ability to even detox possibly in the future, right? So we have to look at both sides of it. So in general, in terms of what LDI can work for, like we said, if there's an immune-mediated reaction or trigger that happened originally, that can be from like a microbe. Well, we might it might be like example, I guess, a simple example of like, even like, a, that there's studies about is like um, with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So we know that in the literature, Hashimoto's can be triggered by Yersinia, which is kind of a microbe, or it can be triggered by like Epstein-Varr, right? So there's a possibility that one or the other could possibly be one of the triggers creating some of your symptoms if you have Hashimoto's. Another like even more pure example that people would better understand is like rheumatoid arthritis. If we know it's a definitive diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis where they're checking antibodies, they're specific like anti-CCP, I think it is, and that's kind of a more diagnostic then we can use a specific mixture, which we have is called the PK mixture, which is the Proteus and Klebsiella. And that can be really helpful um, towards ameliorating, at least hopefully shutting off some of that inflammation that's occurring from the rheumatoid arthritis. And again, just because that bug triggered it, doesn't mean it's still there sometimes. I think we have to realize that too as well. So it can just trigger it and then it cascaded across the immune system. And now the immune system is on complete alarm and then it's constant inflammation. It's high inflammation at first, then it becomes chronic inflammation, and that that leads to kind of like the, the current condition where you just can't heal. Because if you're inflamed, how is your body going to go back and healing? And how is it then with the thing in terms of if you're if you're constantly in inflammation, how is your nervous system going to react? Right? Mm-hmm. How are you going to be in a relaxed state and a parasympathetic rest, digest, heal, and regenerate state if you're constantly battling a fire? Right? Mm-hmm. And, then how is your limbic system, which is that kind of like other extreme, going to be back in its, in its basic state where it's not going to think alarm, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So there's all these interconnections that happen just from one triggering event as a possibility, but it's always layers of stuff. And I think, you know, that Dr. Dave too, you can't just depend on one thing to say that it created everything. It's more about um, insults on the body um, that fill up the cup that lead to your current symptoms. That's what I always kind of put it out with patients in general too, as well.
0: Yeah, I love how you were able to separate a little bit in terms of like the insult versus like an inappropriate reaction to the insult, because I think we get insults all the time. Um, you know, I, I talk to my patients about uh, I'm not a I don't specialize in uh, allergy and chronic, chronic and complex disease. But I usually say, look, here's some of the things that usually th- throw things off for people. It's easier. So it's usually some infection. It's a, it's a drug or an antibiotic. It's a mental, emotional trauma it's a physical trauma. I've seen three cases of autoimmune disease after like a motor vehicle accident. Mm-hmm. So there's like these insults that happen and there may have been other insults too, but for some reason they break our, our some kind of like physiological resilience on some level, it could be physical, anatomical, structural, or it could be something else. And I love how you're separating that, you know, cause you, you, you could run into mold, like you said, and you get out and you're fine. You could have a car. I, I, I was in a car accident completely flipped. Oh, like, I got nothing from that. The car just was totaled. I got nothing. For some reason that day, I had the resilience to deal with it. But other times, yeah, there's like this inappropriate or out of proportion. How how would you uh, explain what's going on with that sort of the secondary response to the insult?
2: It's like an over-exaggerated response. That's what I was uh, coined it as, but with, with patients, because like now the body's over-exaggerating and it's just reacting to everything. It's like... It's it's like we're saying, like, when we see something that shouldn't be there, the immune is supposed to take care of it. It's very mm-hmm. simple. That's how it's supposed to do. But at this point, now it's saying, I don't know any of you anymore, and that's it's still you, and I'm going to fight you. And it's doing the right thing and fighting somebody doesn't know, but it there's blinders on showcasing that that's actually you. You just don't realize it's you in that mm-hmm. regard. And like mm-hmm. you said, I think the physical trauma is like a physical, like, Actions, things of that nature those can really kind of like create them i think they can unleash things that people had sometimes too because sometimes like the body is smart enough where it'll keep things at bay and kind of like uh keep them like away from like creating any possible kind of like pathology but mm-hmm. once you have like a trauma like if especially like a spine or the, that concussion or things of that nature then you're leading kind of like maybe to like more poor venous congestion there's poor flow and then there might be like um more hypertension in the brain that we don't realize too as well and that can kind of lead to like more pressure than a, on the, the back of the head or the occiput area which puts more pressure than on the vagus nerve and when you affect the vagus nerve you're irritating that nerve Your body can't get into a relaxed state if it can't get into a relaxed state it can't kind of regenerate and heal and if mm-hmm. your body is always revved up in that fight or flight fighting that bear um it's it's always going to be in an inflamed state and then from that, you can have dysregulation of your immune system too as well. So there's there's so many factors involved in terms of it's when you're looking at kind of like these situations and what triggered what. It's more about vulnerabilities, like you said. I think like that day you weren't vulnerable because maybe you had a good constitution that allowed you to get through it much more easier than maybe another person, which would have been really detrimental for them in mm-hmm. way, chronically later on.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. And then uh, the other question that was, uh, I, I wrote it down my little list here, that was burning and it's it's almost a loaded question. So be prepared. <laughs> but I was like, I, I have to ask Dr. Nick about this, because I'm sure other people uh, are going to make the analogy or the comparison. Um, because maybe there's a spectrum of of uh, relationship between this and, and low dose immunotherapy. But what I want to ask about is how is this different than vaccines? I'm just going to say that, you know, so, someone's going to ask this, someone's going to be thinking this, this sounds like a kind of like, energetic vaccine or a kind of uh, lower dose uh, more less understood vaccine what's your what's your response to that
2: so i like I, I think it comes back to the first thing we stated. it's more we're passing on information right mm-hmm. so i don't think it's a, it's a vaccine in any way in that sense but i think it's like we can go back to homeopathy and think no so therapy i think we can think of it more that way i know that correlates of course with like can you
0: can you explain maybe no so therapy for anyone that doesn't know what no so therapy would be
2: like in the simplest term you're using say like a possible microbe that might be causing a possible problem and you're giving it at a diluted amount Mm -hmm. to the body it can be a different maybe um, ascending potencies or it can be descending or you can kind of give a strong dose maybe in homeopathy which means a, a higher uh, physical number in that regard mm-hmm. to try to desensitize. It's like I'm, I always put the word desensitize in, in, that, in that sense. That's what I think of it as. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you, your body can rid that energetic imprint that's mm-hmm. stuck there for maybe a chronic problem in the past. That's mm-hmm. what I, I kind of think of it as.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I've done that kind of thing. Uh, actually recently I had someone who um, had seen uh, many people, I think for SIBO, which I don't love treating at, uh, if you've heard any of my, communications I don't really love that perspective um, when it's you know used to the exclusion of all other perspectives but uh anyway we did some we did some pretty basic stuff and it would horrify a lot of SIBO practitioners to know that we use psyllium to create (laughs) to great benefit um but one of the things we did was we know that her her uh everything went sideways the SIBO sort of Manifested its symptoms after Campylobacter uh, infection, so I was like, "Are you are you sure? Like a, you know, you're pretty sure it was that one." And that sort of we could we could talk about how you know which which uh, you know all, uh, desensitizer to use. But in her case, she was she was pretty sure it was Campylobacter. And she has been somewhat, I would say, desensitized in terms of her SIBO symptoms uh, or IBS symptoms, however you, what pers- whatever perspective you mm-hmm. want to look at, the same person with the same problem. Um, it's, it's helped a lot. And it was just that sort of no-sode or, or whatever. Uh, same thing you were talking about. And it seems to have been very, very helpful. So um, the, the, what I wanted to ask, though, Nick, is that now when she takes it, she just gets more, um, it doesn't seem to give benefit now. What she gets is a little bit of extra gas. She gets extra sort of flatulence that happens now when she takes it. But she did get some improvement for a period of time. And now she just gets this extra gas. Like, wh- what do you think is going on at a point like that?
2: Well, I think at uh, the same time, like LD, I don't think it's a panacea treatment. Like, I don't right. think anything is. That's my key thing with, with, with anything I do. Um, cause that's why I think synergy really works well. And I think you need multiple therapies at the same time to get to the result that you want to get to with the patient. And maybe in that case, it's more about like, it did its due diligence that kind of no, so to say that you use and can campylobacter, but then there's other work that has to be done. That's still mm-hmm. specific because it'll, it'll stop maybe the inflammation that's occurring from that, say possible microbe, or that's that information from that microbe in the body, but then you have to kind of rebuild.
1: Mm-hmm. Right
2: retrain and, and re kind of like help support the terrain once again like i know you were doing the prebiotics and all that kind of stuff but i think that's where it comes down to later on because even with like ldi like say somebody has rheumatoid arthritis and they ha- and their joints are deformed it's not going to change the deformed joints yeah yeah structural things that are, have occurred but if the goal would be to the minimize or stop that inflammatory response that's creating that the that joint degeneration right and that's yeah sense. so if there's a structural injury like LDI is not going to be good for that. But if there is something that's creating inflammation in the body that was triggered in some way, then there's a possibility that LDI can be helpful to that. That's why we can think in terms of like general conditions, like even for Lyme disease, we have mixtures for that. We have mixtures, even like yeast mixtures that can a really broad range that really work for a lot of different conditions. Like, I mean, I like, you're going back to like, how do I choose what I choose with a patient? So the biggest thing that I do is like, I really have a comprehensive intake. Mm So I really go over history uh, like with a fine, uh, t- just really finely. And then I, um, same time, I have a an energetic device, an assessment tool, a bioresinance assessment tool that kind of helps me support um, any if there's any genetic stresses, a possible microbes. So those two things really help me a lot to kind of get a, a good list of what might be going on And then, but that's the key thing is the clinical symptoms. I think I base it more on symptoms. Other practitioners, other doctors, they utilize like muscle testing um, to kind of focus more on what might be going on at that moment. Um, I'm not, I I can't say I'm great at that. So I don't, I don't depend on that. But that's Mm -hmm. why I use more of my, my tools wherever I can to kind of support something or my clinical inclination too as well. I think. Clinically, I I try to think through the problem and what makes the most sense, and there's going to be possibly multiple LDIs that we're going to utilize at one point. So it's not just one, like yeast is going to solve all your problems because we think that's top priority. We're going to try to maximize yeast and see how much better you get from it, and then we'll move on to our next one if we think there's something else that's burdening your system as well. So it's Mm -hmm. never just one, and it, it does take time. I think the key thing with LDI, it's not that it's always kind of like a home run day one that you feel things by tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's what I consider it kind of, even for me, a background therapy, because uh, what we do usually is we, when we're trying to find the right dose, say of a microbe, because microbes have really broad ranges. So I have to be based on, on their clinical sensitivity. So if I think this patient is very sensitive and they're going to react, I'm going to go to a weaker dose, which means a higher number. That's okay. what case. So example, like yeast, the, the yeast range can, can be anywhere from like a 5C like over a 35 C. So that's pretty, pretty big because we're using one number, we're using one potency at a time. So like in terms of the dose with the patient that might be somewhat sensitive, I might start at 25 C and start titrating downwards to a stronger mm-hmm. dose. And the key thing that I'm looking for uh indicators is a response. Okay, after I give you that dose, we wait I still wait other now practitioners, doctors go a little bit quicker but i wait 7-10 days especially when we first give them that initial kind of dose just because i want to see how they respond so if there is no response then we go to the stronger dose Um, but if there is a response negative or positive we want to know okay how much better was your symptom or how much worse was your symptom and how long did it last for because that gives more key indicators saying okay now how do, we, how do we tweak it next time so we can maximize its potential? So mm-hmm. in terms of your symptom uh, amelioration. So that's what we try to do. So, but the possibility there is too, like we said, is there, a, there might be a flare. So symptoms might get worse because in this case, from what we're saying is that we gave you something that's too strong of too much information. Now your body got overreft and it mm-hmm. kind of overreacted to it. And it was trying to do its job, but it just created more inflammation. So whatever symptom got worse that time, the positive behind that is that that symptom has a potential of getting better because that, whatever we gave you reacted with your body.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: Well, that tells us that whatever we gave you, it can also ameliorate your symptoms if we find the right now dose for you. So Mm -hmm. what we would do after, like if it, if something happened like a flare, we would wait at least seven weeks before we redose that initial kind of LDI seven um, weeks or days, seven weeks, because we're basing this now on, now, if we're looking at the mechanism of action, the possibility, we're looking at, this is like now the immune system, like reg cells. And and those kind of uh, come to fruition or they kind of uh, get reborn every kind of seven to eight weeks. So we want to wait for that memory to go away so it can kind of re-dose. And what we would do, we would give you at a much weaker dose. So when we look even like mathematically, like every one C is around like a, a, a it's a, a hundred time dilution, right? So if we're giving you a three C um, if we're going three C weaker, we're going about a million times weaker. So mm-hmm. that's what we do. So depending on how much they flared, sometimes it can be like a couple of hours. Sometimes it can be a day or two for some people, even a week, others maybe longer in some cases lingering or, but not always, that's very rare in that, rega- in that regard, but based on that, then we'll go, well, that'll depend how much weaker we go. So if there was a kind of like maybe like a, a day of a flare, like, ouch, I got a little bit worse after that. I know it was that then we know we're close. We have to kind of tweak it. Maybe we, we tweak it by like minim, minimizing the amount of units we give. Because the way we do give it is we actually give it an insulin syringe. So we're not injecting it. We're giving it sublingually. But what we're doing is that we're using like four units on insulin syringe. That's our standard dose. And then you can go increase that or decrease that as you wish. But every unit you can think of, if you think four units is 100% of your dose. So we can make it now weaker by 25% by taking away one unit right? We give three units instead of four. Now we're at 75% of our max capacity to see how you react. Or if we think that you didn't get the max response that you wanted, then we can increase by a unit, which will be 25%. Now it comes back to math a little bit too. Mm -hmm. But what happens to it, like, so if there's a positive reaction that happened that day, but then it wasn't long lived. So it only kind of lasted for a week. What we can do in that seven week period is that we can give you a booster dose, which means now we're going to give you kind of a little bit more of that dose, but maybe like maybe 25% increase of it um, within that seven week period, because we're saying that's when the those cells are available there, um, to see if we can get a boost of betterment. And that's Mm -hmm. what we kind of do too as well. So as we go through the process, we try to kind of um, find the core dose. So that'll be the ideal dose that gives you the max benefit overall, and for the longest period of time. That's the the key thing. Sometimes you might need boosters with that. Sometimes you just need that and that's it. So that's Mm -hmm. how we kind of, uh, I guess, kind of uh, utilize it in a more general perspective
0: i think that's the same thing we're trying to do with any kind of intervention too right it just seems there's that there's that linear aspect or whatever where you've got you know your your four units divided you know your full unit divided by 25 percent increments but you've also got this non-linear sort of like c dose so the thing that's confusing to me when you're saying that is that how you know two or or say fifty percent of a of the four units, so the two you know, halfway of the the insulin syringe. How is that half as half as powerful? Because you know, to to someone who's just trained like me or untrained like me, however you want to look at it, I, I see it as when I give like five pellets of a homeopathic, I don't see that as five times more than than taking one pellet of homeopathic uh, medicine.
2: Yeah, I think this is where it differs a little bit because this is where the, the flare gets created because it, it is based on concentration. For some reason, in that regard, like now it's like you can say concentration in terms of the information that's concentrated in that that amount. Mm-hmm. But that's where, because like, yeah, you're right. Some people like to give three pellets at one time. Some people like to give only one pellet and that's all you need because you're looking for that reaction. But in this case, the amount really plays a role mm-hmm. in terms of what you're giving. Other practitioners now have done it where they're they're giving even drops per day i just mm-hmm. i've never gone that route because this is what i've always done and it worked so i haven't had a chance i haven't had a necessity to change it mm-hmm. because I, i'm very i'm more mindful and careful because i know at the start of when ldi first came to fruition to the to majority of like chronically ill patients um, some doctors were just kind of flaring them and saying it's just a herx that's normal it's supposed to happen that way because the herx is a good thing because it means you're getting better but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that in this case it's very different because it means that we've overrevved your immune system and you've created a flare. It's not, a, it's, mm-hmm. not a, it's not. going to get better after this. So we have mm-hmm. to come kind of back to that. So that's why in this case, it really does depend on the concentration in the amount you physically give. So mm-hmm. if you give one unit too much, it can really throw the person off completely too as well. So there's of course limitations to that in terms of how you're dosing it, but you have to just be more mindful versus kind of like, like you said, five pellets uh, of like this, like 10 X kind of uh, remedy whatever it might be. Right.
0: Right. And so what other, what other things are you doing with your patients? You're obviously using LDI because you're, uh, you know, you're quite uh, knowledgeable of it. And it sounds like it has some deep sort of true, true sort of healing capacity or, or potential. What other stuff are you doing at the same time as you're doing LDI? Because we had a little chat before and you're saying you still do physical exam and, and all that. So like, what other stuff are you doing at the same time as LDI?
2: Yeah. So like I said, like LDI is like one of like the part of my, my treatment protocols that people can do at home. Cause it's easy enough that like, this is an LDI just so I can show you too, in terms of how it looks. Yeah. So that's like an insulin syringe. So of course there's a needle on it, but I tell patients, you do not inject yourself with this. You just put it under your tongue. This is just an easy way to kind of find out the amount that we need to utilize for you. So um, while they do that at home, they'll get back to me based on kind of like, I think the hardest part just before I go into what else I do with LDI treatment, is communication because if the patient can't communicate what happened then there's a possibility of a flare because if we if they think nothing changed but then we give you the stronger dose next time a stronger dose then even if there was a minimal change that one time that she didn't didn't really realize then we're going to like a a possibility of a a 10 times stronger dose so there might be a 10 times stronger flare as a possibility so we have to be very mindful of that so that's why i always ask patients 7-10 days they email me back i have a, a kind of like a something to fill out in terms of their tracking in terms of their symptoms so that we can kind of figure, okay, do we go to the next dose or do we stop and reassess at this point too? So that's the yeah. one thing with LDI. So they can definitely do that at home as needed. And then of course, in terms of like other therapies that I do, I have a lot of different therapies that I utilize, like even from different energetic uh, modalities. So I use like even like FSM is one thing. So frequency specific microcurrent. So that's a, a big one for me too, which you're using kind of like, um paired frequencies so you have a like you have two channels on this kind of like little device and you're using a channel say a is for the physical kind of like say condition so uh it could be like the condition could be inflammation and then Mm -hmm. channel b is for the physical tissue or organ so example Mm -hmm. if we think that you have inflammation in your liver we're going to put the the frequency for inflammation here we're going to put the frequency for liver here and they're going to connect and we're going to focus that towards your liver inflammation so that's a cool therapy too that can be very helpful. I've seen some interesting results with that, too, as well. Um, I do like and then I have like other therapies, like uh, even something called the MRT, which is Matrix Regeneration Therapy, because for me, I think the matrix is kind of the super communicating highway. I think we we're talking a little bit before in terms of like how it kind of works automatically sometimes when it works. I think it goes to the matrix. I think that's like the, the connection to the cell and the rest of the body. It's like this quick, like kind of like super highway. So if you can get, the, if there's sludge built up there. That you mean in the
0: extracellular matrix?
2: That's what I think, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's where the, the super communicating highway really lies because it's innervated with like nerves, blood vessels, lymph vessels, like all, everything's come, everything like starts there or ends there and everything comes out of there in a yeah. sense. So if there is like, think of that, if that's now sludgy and it's harder to kind of get that message across, then you're going to see lack of communication with the rest of the body, and in, in terms of your response to therapies too, as well. So yeah. we have therapies towards that, um, and we have inhalation therapies. We do. We, there's a lot of different things that we can, and then of course bioresidence We do in terms of like our assessment tools. I do like HRV. I really like HRV because I, I want to see where the nervous system is at. Because big thing for me. Uh, HRV.
0: Can you just can you just explain for anyone who may yeah, not know sorry. what HRV is?
2: So just heart rate variability. In very simple terms. Or just, we want to see where your nervous system is at. Is it more in the stress state or is it more in the relaxed state? So if we can have a better assessment, a baseline result of where you're at, then we can kind of find a way to regulate. That's my key thing. My key thing is always to find uh, regulation tools. I don't want to be overly um, combative with, with things and try to kill my way to freedom. I try to think if I can regulate things, I can put the body back in tune and tone it back up where the body can now has an ability to heal itself. But of mm-hmm. course, sometimes you need more interventions, and there's other things we can do to do that. But that's the key thing: if you can get your nervous system back online and your immune system back online, then you have much more of a possibility to kind of find your full potential of healing too, as well.
0: Mm-hmm. It sounds like a nice. Um, it's kind of got like a masculine and a feminine component, like which I actually I love about the visceral work that I do because instead of forcing things, like I, I say, there's a place for chiropractic and a more sort of forceful uh you know hey body do this force you know sort of like uh more masculine kind of energy to it whereas when i do the um the visceral manipulation osteopathic it's like hey you just you put your hand there and you're like hey cool hey says hello to the tissue hey do you want to do you want to do you want to like okay just wait yeah and then boom it goes on its own just melts on its own so it's kind of got that same sort of like balance of of uh being precise i guess with your sort of you know, that's the more masculine, be precise, specific, whatever. And then the cooperative, like, Hey, you want to play? And then anyway, so we, we, I think we've got a lot of, I think we share a lot of brain cells, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. The way you go about things is I think it's great. I I also look at your, uh, I look at your communications go, where do you get all these machines? And like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like a toy store i would love to i would love to yeah. see you <laughs> as a natural it'd be like going to the toy store um but one of the toys i i particularly wanted to ask you about was this bioresonance device and i want to know uh when you rely more on it so i i find we often rely on other things when we don't know inherently what to do you know so we rely on things when we don't know as much and i i feel like uh a lot of practitioners, for example, when we don't know what to do, often we give a homeopathic because we don't know enough of the specifics, the mechanics, the the sort of linear, the linear uh, aspect of things, what's actually going on. Uh, when do you find yourself leaning on this bioresonance and, and what does it actually do?
2: Well, I think in terms of like, I try not to lean on anything specifically too much, just because I think if we can accumulate more data, it's always great. And if we can do tests, that's also great. But I guess... I utilize kind of more energetic things or assessments just for the fact that it's more affordable long-term for a patient. Mm-hmm. So, like I would love to do more tests. I can just like, say, this is what you got. So this is what we're going to do about it. But at the same time, we have to be mindful of how we interpret the information. Same thing with bioresonance too. Anytime you do any energetic and um, assessment, you have to be mindful of the information you're gathering as well too. So does it doesn't make sense clinically. That's the key question, right? So mm-hmm. it definitely still goes back to the clinical history. I really that's what I'm saying. I take a really thorough history to get a better understanding of the overall process to their current state at this moment. So I definitely like with I would say 95, my 95 percent of my patients, I, we always do the bioresonance, the second appointment, um, just so we can kind of go a little bit more in depth because it gives me I think sometimes it just justifies what I'm thinking to as well. I think that's another key thing that it does in terms of what like I like
0: confirmatory sort of thing. Yeah, like yeah. It,
2: exactly. Because, like, after the first moment, I have some thoughts and then I'm like, okay, hey, now what are we seeing in here? Because it's more of a, it is a lengthier kind of assessment tool that we're utilizing. We're, we're spending like two to two and a half hours going through kind of information. Yeah, it's really intense. And it's, it's for the patient, too, as well. So, because it gives so much information. So now we have to kind of really decipher it and see, like, now, because it does give us information about possible energetic uh, microbial stresses. So that kind of takes me into the situation. Like, does it make sense? Like what we're talking about in terms of current state and microbe, or does it allow me to think in the future, like in terms of layers, like right now, okay, we can, we have to go after this, but we have to not forget this as well, because that can be another part of it. And now like, if they have like, say like brain inflammation or these chronic headaches, now does this microbe correlate to like an encephalitis that can, that can create that as well chronically. So we have to kind of always be mindful of how we kind of interpret. Because if we just take everything for what it is, then there, I don't think it's going to really um, do its due diligence and really help the patient or help the process or help the, the protocol that we put together. So that's yeah. why like, it is a lot of training with that, like with these devices, Not you just click and play and it tells you what to do at that moment. It's more about there's training involved with it so you understand how to interpret the information too as well. But it definitely gives us a good set of data to kind of like go through. And it, I think it allows the patient to better understand – what their stresses might be in their body as well, what, where they can kind of do better in terms of even energetic stresses. Like, I mean, like even like EMFs or, or being in front of screens, like where that can be, you can be more sensitive to that than an average person, which is then eating away at your electrons, but also bombarding your nervous system. So maybe that's why you have more headaches or that's why you have brain fog in that regard. So just being more mindful of taking those things out of your, your kind of day-to-day regime too, or minimizing them if you can, or cutting off Wi-Fi and going hardwired in, mm-hmm. in that sense, too. So there's, there's a lot of information you can gather from that kind of assessment overall.
0: You know, I, I wouldn't even say, you know, like people, you, you know, there's going to be haters when we use things like bioresonance and other machines that are uh, less well known. But I'm, I'm going to support you with the, the idea of what you're saying, where you have to look at the clinical picture when you look at information. And I'm going to apply that to some hard science, which I just did a video yesterday on how to go through iron, like iron and like as boring as it is, it's so poorly assessed and it's the world's most common nutrient deficiency that I get like real angry about it. So I did a little, like a 20 minute sort of training on, on how to look at iron, how it's not the same thing as anemia um, they get conflated and how to actually look at your labs. And I'm talking about like boring labs, like, like hardcore labs, like just conventional labs. Like I'm, I'm saying one of the, one of the main things when I, when I did that little um training was you have to look at the patient's signs and symptoms, because I can't tell you how many times you probably see this too. People come in and maybe their, their doctor said, uh, because they look at each line in independent of the other lines. And then they look at those, maybe they look at all the lines, but it's independent of the patient's signs and symptoms. So I've got so many false negatives for iron deficiency that it drives me up the wall mostly it's women of childbearing age and if there's anyone you should take care of in your society it's probably them um and it's the same idea you have to look at the data in the context of signs and symptoms and it just seems like um it's it's not done as much in the conventional zone so yeah it's i don't think you know just listening to you i was like hey this is not just with this you know these bioresonance machines and things like that you have to do that with like just basic labs
2: yeah, you want to make sense of everything. That's why I think the more information you can gather from different ways of gathering information, trying to be as objective as possible, is great, right? That's yeah. why, like, I like HRV. It's objective. I'm not telling you that you're stressed. You're you're telling me that you're stressed, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, because if I tell you this stuff, even if I think you are, it's, you're not going to believe me. But if I can show you that you are, your your body is not able to detox now because you're in a sympathetic dominant state, then then we got to make changes, right? Yeah, and that's. that and-
0: yeah, and the thing that sort of links all these different perspectives together is the patient.
2: Yeah, exactly. And
0: uh, and we don't want to forget about that. We take the time, but man, two and a half hours.
2: Yeah, it's a, I take a lot. I'm 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 yeah. I'm bad at that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just thorough. Just thorough.
2: Yeah, I guess so.
0: Okay, uh, Nick, is there like, is there someone? So some people listening are naturopaths, some people are are patients, and a lot of patients probably have, especially if they're listening to naturopaths uh, talk about things, they probably have complex and chronic autoimmune type things. What are the, you know, what are the the things that you'd like, you know, someone listening out there saying that sounds like me, that sounds like me? Is is there some sort of, uh, I mean, I, I know I'm asking you to to not, these are always difficult questions with a holistic type thinker. But I, I'm just trying to say, is there is there some key sort of things that people may hear out there and go, that sounds a bit like me. Maybe a, a kind of assessment for this type of thing might be useful for me. What are what are the type of people that seem to be drawn to you, do best with you, or you do best together?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of a loaded question, I guess. But in again, sense, I
0: know it, that's that's that means it's a good question, Nick.
2: Definitely is. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're like, who likes me? That's what you're asking. <laughs> So that's a hard question for me to answer. I do,
0: but keep going.
2: <laughs> but I think it's patients who are ready to kind of like invest in their health. Like I don't mean just the economics of it, but I mean invest their time because I'm going to be willing to invest my energy and my, my resources to help you in any way I can if you're ready to invest. But I can't be the only one doing your job. So I'm here to support you as, you're, as you go through the process. So if those people are ready to go, then I'm, I'm, I'm more than ready. Like I'm all in with them. That's the yeah. whole thing. So I think that's the, the most simplest way of putting it. Because and some people are gonna like me. Some people are not gonna like me. I, I can't. I can't say who likes me, who doesn't. The patients that are that are that are with me, I really appreciate them because they, they really put the effort in there. And, I, and I'm I'm always trying to be as respectful as possible because I do understand costs and I do understand that because I've gone through with my sister, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. Disgusting. It's disgusting in terms of what needed to be done or what needs to be Mm -hmm. done in some cases. And the amount of money people have to put out there just to gain some ounce of health. And sometimes it doesn't work for them that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I I do, I'm always mindful of every level of that because I can see it from the patient's perspective, from the family member, sitting in the chair next to the, to the patient in that regard too. So I always think always, and, and that's where I think, um, it allows me to kind of hopefully be more mindful of how I approach, um, the plans, and we always try to do our best to kind of find ways to make it affordable long term too as well, like things will take a little bit longer if we have to. But I, I don't want to limit people either. I don't say like, can't do this because of this. We have to find ways. So simple interventions that they can do at home as well. Therapies. I'm very simple in terms of like where I tell them, like do casual pack every day, mm-hmm. put lymphatic cream on your neck every day, mm-hmm. do, like, do an alternating foot bath every day for your head, mm-hmm. like simple things like I've had a patient. We just do we have special kind of like massage technique that they do on their, to uh, kind of uh, just drain their neck and their little bit of their back and put lymphatic cream, and then they said their pain went down by fifty percent. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, like I didn't do anything; they did it themselves, and it was just simple intervention that takes time, and that's what people don't have or they don't want to spend on sometimes is physical time to do stuff. But whatever we can do in the office, we try to do as well, of course.
0: Yeah, you're talking about again. You're boring. It's like you know a lot of the stuff that i talk about in clinic you're talking about i always talk about time energy money resources you know yeah. we can always do something um and we'll try and make it work with whatever limitations you have on resources which is why actually i'll tell you nick that's why i focus on iron a lot because of those resources one of them being energy uh i, I do find that's a that's a big thing because if you have the energy then you can put the effort in to do that castor oil pack or you can put the effort in to cook a little bit better or you mm-hmm. can put the effort in to to you know to stand up for yourself and say no to someone who's you know on you on your case all the time The time energy money resources thank you for bringing it up i talk about it all the time i think it's so important i think it's wonderful that you're handling your patients like that it's um it shows a lot of empathy and and skill it's not easy um but i love that i love what you're talking about too like if if someone's in they got there's this saying i live in bruce county okay there's just saying they say are you in are you in the way
2: (laughs) it's true and who's in your way that's the real Mm -hmm. question sometimes too right Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a fact and i think you're right in that regard like everything takes time money effort but it's, it's all about resources and we try to give you as many resources as possible i give a lot of handles i give all that kind of stuff but i think community is the key thing to healing long term i think people need that support like outside the office too as well and wherever they can find it. if it's family friends others going through it too as well mm-hmm. the community is so key and i think we've maybe my perspective is we've lost that in many ways mm-hmm. I and mean, even locally in different places or because before the burden was on the community not the individual but yeah. now it's back to the individual not the community anymore right yeah all kind of each other which is great but it's not the way for us to kind of get to the next uh evolution uh as a as a society too as well so we have to kind of congregate and not kind of uh not kind of divide
0: yeah you know, the organism re- reacts to its environment, right? And that environment has so many different factors. One of my funniest prescriptions was a uh, this woman who just, she came to me and she was fun, and, <laughs> but she just, she complained about everyone else and, and she just, but we had a great time. I don't know. We had a good sort of, I'm sure you've had people, like, you have a good rapport with them, but they're like, cause they feel comfy with you. Right. Yeah. Um. But I, one of my prescriptions was for her was to go to the rabbit dash coffee, coffee shop and just hang out with other humans. Cause she just, didn't hang out with anyone so that's another funny prescription but um nick i'm I'm gonna say i this is that this is that point in our talk where we're get, getting towards the tail end and i just want to give you that opportunity to share you know one sort of takeaway so this is complex chronic disease this is autoimmune disease this is ldi this is pretty uh complicated uh topics although you have some you know, you also have the simple foundations that you're doing at the same time. But if there's one thing that you want people to take away from our from our chat today, what do you think that would be?
2: Before, okay. If I can interrupt you before we do that, can I just give some examples of LDI in the oh, per- yeah,
0: yes. I want sorry, I I was premature no, no. with that. Yeah, bring give, give us some uh, examples just so people
2: get a better understanding too. Yeah, like I think because there's there's some interesting examples that come up too when I see with uh, with patients, and it's it's so crazy. But again, these are kind of like extreme. Examples because they they just work so well. But like one was like one that's more objective and it's not subjective at all. Um, based on physical just symptoms was a patient had something called gutate psoriasis, which just means kind of drops because gutate just means drops drops yeah. on the chest, of psoriasis. And we know that there's correlation to like strep. So we gave him something called the strep mixture that we have, and literally the the within the next day it went down by like 75 percent. Then within the week it was gone. And then it, that that went away for like seven or eight weeks. It came back a little bit the second time, like after like eight weeks. Um, We redosed them for a second time, and then it hasn't come back ever again. Amazing. So that was pretty crazy in that regard. And Amazing. Then there, even uh, like things we use, like even just desensitizing people to food creates these, like their, their random symptoms go away. Like, I mean, it's like I had a patient who just like, we desensitize them to the food. We use the food mixture and they had like vertigo and their vertigo got like 75% better just from that. So mm-hmm. we know there's correlations to the gut and then to the foods and how they can create inflammation. Um, even I remember there was a the child, which is, it was, this was more interesting to me just because they came in because they had kind of a warts and we think warts are viral based, right? That's what mm-hmm. we, assume, we think in terms of virus, warts. Mm-hmm. But what happened is that um, gave them the the food mixture and then, literally, three days later, their warts fell off.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
2: So, is it is it a food problem or is it is it a viral problem? Which mm-hmm. kind one of was it, right? So, I don't know. That's interesting to say. Um, but that was, that was pretty cool because it literally just disappeared. Like they had one on their their hand that was pretty big, and they had on on their face too, and it was completely gone. I did give them a couple other things, but I can't. I would say to work that quickly, it was probably the LDA, and that's what I would assume in that case. And it made the most sense too. Um, and then, like other examples of kind of uh, even, I use hormonal LDI, so it's not physical uh, uh, bioidentical hormones at the the therapeutic doses that we would think. We're diluting them down to like nothing again, right?
1: Because
2: mm-hmm. um, sometimes patients, especially women, they have sensitivities to their hormone, and that's why they have these PMS symptoms, or that's why when you try to give them bioidentical hormones, they're not really working as well because there's some something happening immunologically. So sometimes mm. if you can desensitize them to say their progesterone or estrogen, um, then you can kind of uh, really get a, a layer off and they can and things can work better. So I know there was like for PMS symptoms as an example, the first time I tried to remember, um, it was a patient, she had really bad PMS symptoms. Like, I mean, where there was extreme mood, just cry completely all the time. Like when her period's coming up, um, she would just extreme fatigue. Like literally she had to sleep for 14 hours or she could not function in that regard. Remember she had like, ovarian pain uh breast pain and her spotting was really bad too and then literally i got lucky too i'll be honest because i gave her the right uh, potency of it too because mm-hmm. with hormonal LDIs, there's different potencies of it too as well so you have to kind of really think and choose and or titrate towards it but i gave her something called the 7c and then literally like around like her breast pain was gone like 100 percent her energy was like 85 percent better her kind of like uh, mood was like 85% better. Like her, it was just pretty crazy in terms of uh, the reaction to that. And sometimes I've seen it where in patients periods get back on track too, mm-hmm. just from giving an LDI, a hormonal mm-hmm. LDI. So there's a lot. And then even with yeast mixture, like, because yeast has crazy different symptoms. You can have electrical shocks from yeast. You can have brain fog from yeast. You can have inflammation, like in so many body parts from yeast. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and extreme fatigue, of course, from yeast. And then we had a patient I remember uh, more recently. I would say, he gave him the, the, the yeast mixture because he has like chronic, like just say general chronic fatigue syndrome, like extreme fatigue in, in that sense. But then he got he got the dose of the yeast mixture, and he literally jumped up in energy, like eighty five percent.
0: How soon like, after?
2: Like literally, he he's a responder. Like he would like when he give him like when you give him an LDI, he's like bam, everything yeah. lights are turned back on. So it's like we rewired something. There was a wire off. It was a it was a wire wasn't. It was kind of loose, and we just kind of revamped them, and that's what yeah. happened. So it's it's interesting. Like again, we're still working with him because it didn't fix the problem. Because it, then it, it, it the first that was the first time we gave it to him, and then it, it, he rebounded back towards uh, having more fatigue again. But it showcased that there's something there that's kind of uh, impeding him from that might be yeast based that's creating a, a problem in his immune system towards mm-hmm. his fatigue. So there's there's multiple examples, but those are just kind of a few of them in, in general. And of course, for allergies and basic things like chronic sinusitis, all that kind of stuff, the LDAs those are those are really helpful too. And again, they don't just work for that. I think people don't realize when you give food stuff like food like this is the cool thing about it. It's like a it's like a treatment and a diagnostic tool. That's why I love the therapies that I do sometimes because they're they're both they're say like, the same because I get to assess and figure out like what makes the most yep. sense, and I try it theoretically. I'm, I'm testing it on them. Yeah. Um, but then if it works, I know that this is what they had and this is what it cost. Theoretically, I can say. I'm not going to say definitively, but it, they got better in some kind of way. So that's, that's the cool thing about it. And so a lot of different uh, tools that I have and therapies that I do, it's kind of like cause and effect. If I, if I do this and it creates that reaction, then I know this was the problem and that's those symptoms are now gone for that reason.
0: I love it. I love it. I, I do. The, I I say the same again, I say the same thing. Um, that's, that's when you use uh, therapy that you have a sort of known, a known intervention. And that's my problem with uh, how homeopathy is done usually because when you get a, a nil response, it's back to the drawing board, you actually aren't, you aren't any closer, generally to the answer, mm-hmm. whereas when you're doing like what you're saying, you actually, you know, a good response. Okay. It's good. We don't need to like question it. It's a good response, but a nil response actually, or or a bad response can actually get you closer to where you want to be too. So that's, it's nice when you have a therapy like that. That's why I like the hands-on stuff too, because if I do something, I know what I did. It's very precise. If it didn't something else, it's not that
2: <laughs> for sure. It really makes sense.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Is, is there any other, uh, any, any other beauty stories you want to share?
2: I there, are, there's so many, but I think we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. I think yeah, that's, that's a, that was a good amount to we shared.
0: Okay, so where where can people? I'll, I'll put it in the in the uh, on the Instagram post and all that. But where can people find you? Where do you think is the best way to get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, they can go to my website because through there you can see a lot of information in terms of the uh, possible therapies that I do. I'm um, just learn more about me in terms of my my process and how I approach kind of patients. Yeah. So that's at it's hard to spell, but it's IriniHealing Solutions dot So it's e-i-r-i-n-i healing solutions with the s.ca and then there you can right. contact me if you wanted to to as well there's a and there's a lot of information to learn more about me to see if i make sense for you
0: yeah i, I also there's you got some great videos I, I don't know if they're embedded on there i found uh, yeah. some videos on ldi so if people have more questions to follow this this talk up then they can find those can are they on embedded on the website
2: so they can go to like through my website, there's links to my YouTube page. So thanks for telling me th- uh, that Dr. Dave, cause yeah, I have like a, I've done a whole series on LDI, uh, long videos, long uh, videos and short videos too as well. So they can yeah. go to my YouTube page and you can learn more about that and find those videos. And I've also done videos, uh, extensive amount of videos on even my bioresonance assessment tool and my treatment tool. So you can learn more about the step-by-step process, how it looks if you were sitting in the chair in terms of how we would kind of assess it, uh, after a scan, in, in a sense, too.
0: Okay, and then uh, Naturopaths in Ontario can can reach out to you maybe. Uh, well, I'll be one of them. Uh, can reach out to you about maybe some uh, some way to to uh, collab on on some difficult cases.
2: Yeah, I'm more than happy to do that. Like, yeah, like I don't mind, it. I like I like helping whenever I can. So if people have any questions, any NDs, any other practitioners, feel free to contact me, and I'll do my best to kind of support where I can.
0: Awesome. Okay, so now now finally, Nick. <laughs> after my premature <laughs> use of this last bit, what, what do you want everyone to take home uh, from, from our chat today?
2: I think it's, it's simple. It's like, I think people, I just want people to have hope, especially those dealing with complex chronic illness, um, which is like a Lyme autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue, or just these unknown unknowns in terms of symptoms. And they're not sure what's going on in their body. Like there is hope. There is potential for you to get better. Um, we just haven't found it yet, but we can, and we will and i know like i always say to patients i know there's possibilities that we can we can find we can create betterment like my goal is always to make I, i'll say this first i'm not going to heal you my job is not to heal you my job is to help you get to your optimal health your job is to to support yourself to get to your optimal health as well too so if we work as a team we can find ways to get you to your optimal kind of healing capacity and i think that's where like hope lies in it cuz i know a lot of these people have gone through it for for even decades sometimes going through illness and they, they feel that there's, there's nothing that can be done. But I, I know there is, because I know that I, I'm, I just feel deep down inside me that there's always a possibility, even if it's not for me directly, but I know there's things, doctors, uh, therapies, practitioners that will be able to, to create the change that you need. And I think it comes down to teams. We talked earlier about communities a little bit, but I think it's also in terms of healthcare, you need, you need collaborative teams because I'm only good at one thing. So I need the other person who's a specialist in another area to be able to kind of support you in that area because I know you need that. So my job even here is like as a coordinator of care. If I think there's something that you need to have done, then I have to find somebody who can do that for you. So that's my goal always with my patients too as well, to find the collaborative team. And one big thing I'll just say, which is going to blow your mind later on, it can be a large conversation, is I think people have to look at dental history then they can't forget about that. I think that's a key thing. <laughs> I won't say any more about that, but it, because it's too big to go on to. the
1: yeah.
2: biggest thing is hope. I think there's always hope. There's always possibilities. And sometimes it's all about um, the order of how you've done therapies too. Sometimes you feel like a therapy didn't work for you. Maybe it wasn't the right timing. I think that's a key thing people forget. It's timing of therapies too as well that can lead you to your next stage of, of optimal health. So we have to put all these kind of things together. But just never forget there's always possibilities
0: I love it big big time uh big time hope in that message Nick and um I, I, I bet anyone who's working with you feels that feels that hope and that determination that uh that uh passion for for um finding what the person needs and it's often like you said, it's not us. you say coordinator, I say we're like the quarterback, we got a lot in common here, Nick we're gonna have to get together again uh maybe we'll talk about uh the the little doorknob dropper you did there which is the the dental thing maybe we'll talk about that another time but it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you uh just a wealth of information i can't believe you know as much as you know and you got these you understand the foundational pillars and concepts and uh you know of course i'm biased but i think i think you're on to it for for a guy who's uh you know fairly early on in your career you're doing great i love i love the work that you're doing and your patients are lucky Let's get together another time. Um, Thanks again, Nick.
2: Thank you, Dr. Day. Appreciate that.